We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12, or verses 2 through 16. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 16. Let me remind you this, even this is God's good and kind and gracious word to us. You see the title of the sermon is the confounding cultural coverings. There's a lot of confounding things in this passage. And so uh, we especially will need the Lord's help in um, understanding it. So I'm going to pray for us before, before I read it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. As we read it in a few moments, as, we, uh, as, uh, we, as I preach it to us, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand it. Uh, by the work of the Spirit, that we might uh, understand more and more your glory. Lord, we thank you uh, for giving us this word, and I pray, Father, that in it we would see the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us as your people today to, to understand, to see, to be fed by your hand. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short." But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or to shave her head, let her, her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Or but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, a woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with their head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> no. uh, so I, I just, just right off, off the bat, um, a passage like this, this is probably in many ways, the most confusing passage of all of the New Testament. It's the hardest one to wrestle with. And, and there's a sense in which no commentator really understands and knows what this means in its fullness. We are going to kind of grasp at some of the things and try it, you know, just, just like an elephant. We're going to eat, eat as much as we can of it. We won't be able to get all of it. Um, and, and we're going to do our best to understand these the, the parts that we have in front of us. Um, there's a lot here. And just know right off the bat, I can't answer your questions. So if you have them, 
you're going to have to go somewhere else. And I can tell you where to go, but they don't have the answers either. So you're going to be dissatisfied with some parts of this sermon today. I can just tell you that right up front. But, uh, but this is still God's word. He has given it to us. And there are a lot of things here that we can learn and we can know. Um, by way of introduction, growing up, I had a lot of hats. I loved hats. I wore hats. Anytime I was not in school or in church, I wore hats. And I had a great hat collection. I have no idea where all my hats have gone, but I used to wear hats all the time. And when you wear hats as a young man, you learn very quickly from your mother how you are allowed or where you're allowed to wear those hats and all the rules that are surrounding surrounded wearing hats. And I knew that I could not wear a hat when I sat down to eat. I couldn't wear a hat whenever I ate. I also could not wear a hat whenever we prayed. I also could not wear a hat whenever I walked into a building, especially when that building was the sanctuary at the church. No doubt many of you know those rules. If you wear hats, you know that if you're a man, you're to take your hat off whenever you come into the building. And if you don't, there will be some women who will remind you that you are to take your hat off. So that was my experience growing up, and no doubt that's many of you have that same experience. And it used to be in American society, in our culture, that, that men used to wear hats all the time. And what would they do when they walked inside? Oop, they'd take their hat off, right? Because men are not to wear hats inside. Now, women typically don't wear hats, but it used to be whenever women did wear hats, they would wear hats in church, in sanctuary. And there are some places, some some denominations, some churches that still practice this where women will, will wear their hats. The men don't, but the women do. Where does that come from? Why is that? Well, all of that, even the things that we saw in our society when men would take their hats when they go off when they go inside and women would leave them on, all of that stuff, all comes from this passage of Scripture. Because it used to be that our society, our culture, was attempting to maintain their understanding of what this passage of Scripture taught. And it basically, their understanding used to be, and, uh, uh, it used to be that women had to cover their head, heads either with a hat or with some kind of veil when they were in the worship service. But men could not. Men had to ha- have their head un- uh, unexposed. Now... Um, I don't think that is the proper understanding of this passage. Um, For a variety of reasons, I think Paul was dealing with something something else, um, and I'll attempt to explain some of those things. That's not the point. But I appreciate the fact that in our society that they were attempting to understand and act in such a way that was biblical, according to their understanding. Okay. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that as we get further and further away from biblical norms and an attempt in our society to uphold biblical standards, that we see those things going away, where we see men wearing hats inside and not taking their hats off when we pray and do um, sacred things. But, uh, but I digress there. For all the things that this passage says, I think they, that we, I need to establish five main points at the beginning. I'm going to give you these five main points. Um, and I want you to know that I think these are five things that this passage teaches. Okay? These are the most important things that this passage teaches. So let me give you these. Point number one, that gender 
male and female, is more than a mere social construct. But it is, in fact, male and female, our genders are rooted in creation. And we have to understand that who you are as a man and as a woman is rooted in how God has made you. It is not something that society has told you you are. Okay, that's point number one. Secondly, we are not to have any sense of gender confusion among our churches. That there is not to be gender confusion between men and women in the churches. Now, at this point, I am not necessarily talking about the roles that we take up. But that in our dress and in the way that we act, there's not to be gender confusion between men and women in our churches. Why? Because God has made us male and female in his image. And if there's confusion between men and women in our genders in the churches, we are denying basic creation ordinances. Okay? So that is to say men are to be men and women are to be women. Okay? Third thing, men and women both have a proper role in the worship of God. Now this section from chapter 11 to chapter 14, Paul is dealing with the worship of God and how worship is to be done in a Presbyterian way, decently and in order. Okay? And some of the problems in Corinth are confusions between what women are to be doing and what men are to be doing. And so Paul begins to address those issues. And here he begins it by talking about women having their head covered or uncovered and men having their head covered and all of those things. And essentially all of this is to teach us that men and women both have a proper role in the worship of God. That men can do things and women can do things. That women are not excluded from the ministry of the church, but that in worship both have their place. Fourth thing, the worship of God is meant to be done decently and in order. That there is not to be chaos and confusion in the worship of God. It is meant to be done well and to be done orderly without confusion or chaos. And that's Paul's whole point here, that what's going on in Corinth, what's happening is that there's a lot of confusion because of this swapping of genders and some of the things that are going on in Corinth. And so he says, no, we need to do things decently and in order the way that God has prescribed. So whatever else he's saying about head coverings and all that, everything is supposed to be done decently and in order. God is a God of order, not of chaos. And his worship should reflect that. And then the fifth thing, that none of this diminishes men and women and their equal value before God as image bearers of God. That though there are distinctions between men and women, that Paul makes these distinctions, that there is not to be confusion between them, and that men and women have different role in the worship of God, that does not diminish that both of us are equal before God as image bearers of God. Everybody with me? Okay. So let's look at this passage in three ways. First of all, I'm going to deal with in verses 2 through 6, the fact that Paul talks about these head coverings. So verses 2 through 6, head coverings. Um, Paul begins, notice, before he gets confounding, Paul begins by giving them commendation. He says, I want to commend you because you are doing a good job. 
And what are they doing a good job at? What, what is it? Now, verse 2, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now, as Presbyterians, we tend to think of this word tradition as a dirty word. This is a bad word. We, we kind of look at tradition and we say, no, 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 no traditions. We're not to do traditions. But here, Paul uses the very common word traditions. And what is he talking about? We need to understand that not all traditions are human-made traditions. Presbyterians tend to not like merely human-made traditions. But there are some traditions that have been handed down to us to the churches, through Jesus Christ, through the apostles, on through us, to the churches through the ages. And that's what Paul is talking about. He is commending the Corinthians because in their worship services, they are worshiping in many ways in the way that Paul has commanded them. And that is to say that there is a proper way to worship God. Paul is commending them for that proper way to worship. But in that, there's a subtle danger that he is worried about. And it has something to do with the nature of the Corinthians and the nature of their attitudes and their hearts and their society and their culture. And we've already seen some of this. I think up to this point, he has largely been dealing with the men and the attitude of the men in the church. The men jostling for a position, trying to get ahead, trying to make everybody else subservient to them in the church. And Paul saying, don't do that. Serve and be humble. And now he's turning his attention to the women and he's saying, now you have, there are some dangers that might come to you in this church because of where you are socially and what's happening in Corinth. And you need to understand the dangers. And so here's what I think is happening. It was common in Roman society and in uh, Corinth especially for the women to cover their head. It was common for them to do that. It was a culturally accepted thing that somehow or another that they would, especially if they were married, they would wear a veil on their head or some kind of covering. For whatever reason, they did that. And yet there are Christian wives who look at their freedom in Christ who say, well, I don't have to do that. I don't have to uncover my head. Just because they're doing that in the world, I, I shouldn't have to abide by those rules. And Paul is looking at them, and I think what he's saying is, no, no, no. That that is actually an important thing that's happening in Corinth. That there's something cultural that's happening, and that cultural thing isn't necessarily a bad thing. That what these women are doing is that they are showing a sign of their submissiveness to their husbands. And that is actually a good thing to Paul. So I think that's essentially what's going on here. Um, that that um, and Paul talks about this in a very subtle way. Um, he said, "Well, not in a subtle way, but he says, I want, to, I want you to understand, ladies, that if you are saying I don't need to wear uh, this head covering or do these things, then you're actually striking at the vitals of the religion that we hold to. Why? Because he says, verse three, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God." So he is rooting something about these women who are saying, I, I have the freedom to not show this sign of submissiveness to my husband, to the rest of the world. He is rooting what they're doing in a heart issue of their unwillingness to be submissive the way that Christ is submissive. Because he says, ladies, you need to remember that your husband submits to Christ and that Christ himself submits to God. That's an important thing for us to understand. 
And what he's talking about there is Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, willingly submitting himself to the plan of God the Father. Um, Now, as soon as I introduce that idea of the submission of Jesus Christ, there's all sorts of issues that come up. And we are very close to running into some heretical grounds. And there are some people who take the submission of Jesus Christ functionally in the way that he submits to the Father um, for, for accomplishing salvation. They take that and they run with it. There's one group out there called uh, the ESS, Eternal Sonship, or Eternal Subordinate, Eternal Subordinated Sonship guys who essentially say that Jesus Christ is eternally subordinate to the Father. That is not what Paul is saying. However, Jesus Christ willingly, in taking on humanity, taking on human flesh on himself, willingly, for a time, submitted himself to the plan of the Father. He gave up everything, Philippians chapter 2, in order to be submissive to the plan of the Father. We are not denying the full divinity of Jesus Christ in saying this. Paul is simply saying that wives, if you are unwilling to be submissive to your husband in this way, or show this submission you're getting very close to denying the submission of Jesus Christ. And the submission of Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel, is the heart of his salvation. That's why this is such a big issue. So whatever else it is, it's really a gospel issue because these wives are unwilling to show their sign of submission. So Jesus says, even Jesus submitted to the Father. Submission is not a bad thing. Because the wife's, uh, the wife's submission to her husband is analogous to Jesus' submission uh, to the Father. Um, now, we have to deal with this issue of submission because some people hear this and they say, oh, well, Paul is simply being patriarchal. He is simply saying that men have the right to dominate women. And there are feminists and other groups that claim this and say, no, this is just another example of Paul wanting a male-dominated society. And what Paul is saying is, if you have a problem with this, then you ultimately have a problem with the way that God set up the world. Now, he is not saying that that women are to be submissive to men. He does not say that. He says that wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Why? Because Jesus was submissive to the one who was in authority over him, and that's God. And he says that's the way that God set up the world. If you have a problem with it, you have a problem with God's created order. So, what is all this about the head covering? What is he talking about? I don't know. I don't know what it is. (laughs) And no one knows exactly what it is, except that these are women who are willingly saying, I don't have to be submissive or show a sign of submission to my husband. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. Wives are called to be submissive to their husbands. They're they're called to be submissive to their godly husband's leadership over them. So, again, not every man. Women, you're not to be submissive to every man. This is not talking about outside of the church. This is talking about those inside of the church. And it's a very important thing that the way the family is supposed to function, you can see this other places, Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about it, um, that, that wives are submit to their husbands. All right, what's the application to us? Well, women, you, uh, wives, you are to be covered. You're to be covered by your husbands. 
meaning you are to willingly submit to their leadership. If you are unwilling to be submissive wives, then that reveals your heart. That reveals that you don't want an authority over you. Well, God is our authority over us. And the the gospel necessitates you and I saying that we need authority over us because our hearts are wicked and we need someone to be submissive to. Women are called to willingly submit to their husbands. And husbands also are called to willingly love their wives the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and to sacrifice for her. Whatever else this means. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to willingly sacrifice and love their wives. Okay, so there you go. That's the first thing, head covering. Secondly, There are creation principles that Paul begins to draw out of this. He's building an argument and he's saying, look, um, you need to know that there are some basic things involving creation that are going on whenever we talk about this. So creation principles uh, that he talks about in verse 7. For man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. He's going all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Genesis 1 says, Man and woman, male and female, were made in the image of God. In his image he created them, male and female. So they're both together. And then in chapter 2, you get an expansion of what that looked like. And what it looked like was God created the man out of the dust, breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, gave him commandments in, the, in the, what's called the cultural mandate to tend and work the ground, to take care of the sanctuary that God had made in the garden. And then when he did that, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Man needs a helper. So what did he do? He created woman from man. Uh, The term that we typically think about, uh, or the term that's translated rib oftentimes, that God took a rib from Adam, um, there probably, it's a better vision, visual to say that God took Adam and split him in half and took half of Adam and, and reformed Adam and then created the woman out of Adam. Uh, uh, so out of half of Adam. That's kind of the idea. And you get this vision of this bloody thing that's going on that God is doing, this major surgery to create woman out of man. And Paul says, you just need to understand that creationally, how did these things work out? Well, first of all, that that first God made the man, gave commandments to the man, and then, secondly, he made the woman. For what purpose? Because it was not good for a man to be alone. And he and God said, I'm going to make somebody to help the man to do all the things that I want him to do. This is just, this is very simple. God, uh, Adam, or I'm sorry, Paul is grounding his argument in creation. And he says, why should you submit to your husbands? Because man was created first and woman was created second. And he says, he goes on and he says, and for that reason, verse 10, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And then he says this, because of the angels. Nobody knows what that means. I don't know what that means. But he's making some kind of connection here between what the angels are doing and what the people are doing in worship. And there are some people that say in worship, 
you need to recognize that God has sent his angels to attend to us in a special way while we are worshiping. And for that reason, women should have their head covered. Okay, um, that's the best I can do with it. No one knows what this means. There's some... There's one scholar who I really like. I won't give you his name because I don't want you to go down the rabbit hole. Um, but there's one scholar who connects what's, what Paul says here with what happened with Noah and the flood in Genesis chapter 6. I'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, it's, he makes a compelling argument. I don't know that he's right. I'm not even going to go into it. It's very confusing. That's why I gave you those five main points at the beginning so that you don't get distracted by this. And I'm just, I'll, I'll let you go. I want you to do your own research. I want you to figure out these things. I want you to say all that. He says women should have their head covered because of the angels. They should pray with their head covered because of the angels. Now, at that point, he says, but I don't want you to get anything in your mind that says women or men are better than women. Look at what he says in verse 11. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman, for as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. So he says, essentially, if you begin to think because of this rule that women are, sub, sub, uh, are um, less than men, well, just remember something. That it is true that first of all, woman came from man, but ever since then, every man that's been born has come from woman. Right? So they're equal before God. They are interdependent. They need each other. They are not independent of each other, but men and women need each other in the proper worship of God. And that is to say that all of us have our proper place in, uh, in the worship of God, in the church of God. Uh, other places, uh, Paul, and he will in Corinthians as well, he deals with things like male leadership in the church, in male ordination. It is very clear from the scriptures that God says that, it is, uh, that the ordained offices of elder and deacon are only for men. That's biblical. And it's based upon what the creation ordinance says. But that does not mean that women are inferior to men. But that for whatever reason, the way that God wants it is that men are to be ordained and women are not. But men cannot do things, cannot properly worship God in the church without women. Men and women in the church are absolutely necessary. So what does all this mean for us? We all have, of our, all have our place. Each of us has a valuable place in the church of God and in doing the work of the church. And before God, we are all of equal value. So application. Men and women have different jobs, functionally, things that we are supposed to be doing in the church and in the family. Men are called by God to lead our homes, to be the spiritual leaders of our home. And some men, not all men, but some men are called by God to be ordained into the leadership of the church. Ordained ministry is not for every man. There are many men who should not ever be ordained into the ministry of the church, into um, uh, eldership or the, the diaconate. But some men should be. But every single member of the church, male or female, man and woman, needs to be working in the church for the proper worship of God to take place. There are some things that men cannot do that women can. 
like go into the women's bathroom if somebody needs help in the women's bathroom, <laughs> right? I mean, there's just certain things. Uh, that's just right off the top of my head. It's a very basic one. There are certain things that men need women to do. We cannot worship God with only men and with only women. We have different jobs. We have different things we need to do. Um, so, men and women both are called to work for the glory of God and the worship of God. And women, um, and this is important as well, that none of this says that women are made merely for men's enjoyment. That women are to be objectified by men. And that women are to be subservient to all men. But that in the church we have different responsibilities and different callings. All right, last thing, and i got to wrap this up fairly quickly. Uh, verses 13 through 16, he gives some cultural considerations. Now, there are some people who would take issue with me saying there are cultural considerations because he says in verse 13, Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? Um, so he is saying, some people would say, well, he's making a, an argument from nature. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's making an argument from what his culture thinks happens in nature. And this is where things get a little bit weird and, and even more tricky, if you can imagine it, that I think what Paul is talking about here is their understanding of the way that reproduction takes place between men and women. And I want to give a lot of details, but it used to be that doctors believed that hair was very much involved in that. Okay, And essentially what he is saying is if women are coming to church with their hair um, uncovered, they are essentially exposing themselves in worship. Okay, They are being immodest, in other words. That is a cultural understanding. That is something that they believed took place, that, it was very, that the hair was very much a part of the reproduction uh, between men, of uh, reproduction between men and women. And therefore, if a woman came with her head exposed or hair uncovered, she was exposing herself. And that is improper, right? Women should not be exposing themselves in worship. By the way, neither should men, okay? But in this case, he's saying, ladies, you need to be modest. Especially, you need to be modest everywhere, but modest especially when you come to the worship of God. All right, so um, I, I, essentially what this section is about is about modesty. And what is modesty? Modesty is ultimately an issue of the heart that says, my body is not my own. My body does not belong to me. That if I am married, God says, my body belongs to my wife. And if you are married and a woman, your body belongs to your husband. He dealt with that already in 1 Corinthians. And he says also, if you are man or woman, your body ultimately doesn't belong to you, but it belongs to God. And you need to treat your body in the way that God wants you to treat it. And you need to be covered appropriately. It's about modesty. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted us to read uh, what we read earlier in uh, in. Isaiah, um, where you saw the angels that are in the presence of God. And what are they doing? They have six wings, and with two of their wings, they're covering their face. And with two of their wings, they're covering their feet, we're told. Well, actually, that could be translated nether regions. 
you know, whatever that means. And with two of them, they're flying. Ultimately, these perfect angels have to be covered before God. They're worshiping God and they're being modest before God. And that's what Paul, I think, is talking about here, that we are called to modesty. Women, you are called to modesty in the way that you dress and in the way that you reflect the glory of God in your attitude. And men are called to the exact same thing. The problem in Corinthians or in, in, in uh, Corinth was that the women were being immodest whenever they came to worship. And Paul says, we do not do that. That's at the end of verse 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we do not do this in any church of God. That's the point. That's what he's saying there. Immodesty is not allowed in any church of Jesus Christ. Now, if you have this pull toward immodesty, and this is, there's lots of different kinds of immodesty. Immodesty in our dress, but also immodesty in our attitudes and how we act. And so for both men and women, we are called to be modest, especially as we come in to worship God, but also as we are interacting in the world. This is a practice in all of the churches. The way you dress matters. The way you dress is a reflection of what you believe about God. And so you are called to be modest before God and before the world as a way to reflect the glory of God. If you have a problem with submission to God in this way, and ladies, if you have a problem with submission to your husbands, as he is leading you in a godly way, not as he is abusing you or is it taking advantage of you or any of those things, but if you, are in, uh, if you have a problem with it, you need to understand you are in very dangerous territory because that reveals your heart, that you will not listen to God And if God cannot be an authority over you, who can be? Because God says your heart is sick and you need someone to fix your heart and the only one who can do it is God. So humble yourself before him. And for men, it's the same exact thing. Men tend to be immodest in our attitudes, in our blustering, in our being bigger and badder than everybody else. And Paul says you're you're in danger if that's your attitude, men. Be very careful because your heart is sick. In conclusion, I've gone way too long. Um, The good news for us is that for women who struggle with modesty, for men who struggle uh, to be godly leaders, uh, for men and women who uh, might struggle with some gender confusion and what we should, should and shouldn't be doing, with men who are terrible leaders in the home and in the church, that Jesus Christ came to give himself for us that we might have the ultimate covering, that we might be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ in full acceptance because of him. Today in the Lord's Supper, we're invited to partake of the Lord in his covering for us, to be reminded of that covering for us, and to be renewed in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this passage today. We thank you for giving us this word. I pray, Lord, as we move into the celebration of the Lord's Supper, that we would be mindful that you are our covering, that all of us have been given great and wonderful promises in the gospel. And also, Lord, that you are working to transform us more and more into the image of Christ. We thank you for these promises. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.